1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: This segment is brought to you by Jigmasters. Step up your game with high-quality performance jigs, spinnerbaits, buzzbaits, and more from Jigmasters.com. And always, when in doubt, get the jig out. Welcome to The Reel Down on Paddling Finn, with your hosts, Dan Perry and Jimmy Skinner, where we
3: talk about everything the tournament kayak fishing. Here we go. hey everybody welcome back to the real down on paddling through if you're not if you're watching this on youtube every time i see that picture i think like i see these little guys hold up these giant fish and they're probably smaller fish than what that is that i like i legitimately want to lose weight just so my fish look bigger that like that's the only point of losing weight for me
4: i like food more than i like fishing so i don't care
3: <laughs> like that that was an 83 in that picture and i see some people holding up a five and it's like massive compared to that one
4: that's all mine was only a five seven i think it wasn't it wasn't huge nah. i mean it was huge but it was like that thick you know
3: i gotta drop some lbs to make my fish lbs go up but all right but uh how are you doing jimmy uh pretty good getting through a little bit of back pain but i'm making it getting ready for a temptational though huh? i'm getting ready for the hobie and on Seminole, and you're getting ready for a ten vitational Well, I'm fishing. The, I won't be fishing the ten
4: invitational. I'll be fishing the the KBF oh, trail. That's right. Uh, if I had fished, and I think you qualify for the ten invitational right. by winning the trail event or something like that. Honestly, don't know. I've never looked that far into it. I just there's a tournament in Florida in January, and everybody knows that you go to fish Florida in January. So I'm gonna that's jump right. on that bandwagon
3: and hopefully, hopefully catch a double digit fish.
4: The tournament's just – I'm just donating money.
3: Oh, I always have a shot down there. That's true. Yeah. What about you, man? You got anything new going on? No. Just I painted all weekend. Like, I didn't even get to – I want to go fishing. I, I got a bunch of new baits. Like, I've been getting ready for the, for the season, getting everything lined out. And I got all this stuff I want to try and I want to play with, but I just can't. Like, I'm trying to get all that preseason house – Stuff done, so I don't have to worry about later. But I legitimately painted for two full days, and I still have one day left of just yeah. trim, you know. So yeah. that'd be done. The house looks great, though. I still, we talked about selling it. Still don't know yet. Might, might not. Isn't and it crazy? Hell, now the damn thing looks good.
4: Yeah. It, yeah. I know so many people that do that. They get their house ready for sale, and then they're like, "Man, i do done put all this effort into it. I don't want to get rid of it now."
3: Yeah. Well, just the amount of money. I'm sure this is everywhere, but houses are going for so much money right now. Like we would make and quickly. Yeah, oh yeah. Like we would make plenty of money here, but we're losing that money if we move. So, like even if we pay a little bit more for a house, is it? It might not be an upgrade enough to move. So yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's kind of the position we're in. Like we might get an incremental, like a little bit bigger yard or whatever, but. I don't know if it'd be enough to go through the hassle of moving. Yeah. Heck with so, that, man. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. It's it's a bitch moving, man. I don't want to do that again.
4: Same. I'm I'm done. Nope. I'd rather just travel, not That's live true. anywhere. <laughs> yeah. One day. Well, all right, dude. Uh we got one new thing uh with the uh the dugout deal. Uh we still got the uh wow, I just froze. We still got the dugout reel down deal. I could not put those words together in my head right then. Uh, so with any per- with a purchase of any uh, Saint Groy Legend Extreme at regular price, you can still get the free Shimano SLX XT reel uh, gear gear ratios. Maybe limited uh, left or right handed. Same situation. Just make sure uh, if you go to the store, you mention uh, me and Dan and the paddling fins where you heard it, and they'll hook you up with that deal. And if you can't make it, you can give them a call, mention the same thing, and they can ship it to you so uh make sure and check it out i'm sure by now there's probably not a lot of that left but that's a a killer deal i mean you're getting a 600 dollars combo for a little over four basically so you know jump on that and then they uh they're taking deposits on new hobies and they had some promising news on when they should be getting a delivery they don't have the exact date yet but if you're looking to get into a new hobie for this coming up season go ahead and call the dugout up talk to jamie and the guys throw them a little deposit and get in line for a new Hobie.
3: That's right. And they have all, like if you want, once you get it, they can rig it out, batteries, you know, all the best stuff, batteries, graphs that they do it all. So you can, it's all in one place. They have all the Hobie accessories, life jackets, anything you need. And then load it up with baits. Dugout has it all. I can tell
4: you, I've never done it on a Hobie at the dugout, but I have like bought a boat and picked it up in the store and there's something extremely fun about like having the boat mm-hmm. sitting on the floor at the store, running around and grabbing all the stuff you want, putting it on the boat. Then you get to know if it fits. And I don't know, it was, it was really fun. And it was also extremely expensive. And I probably wouldn't do that again. But
3: <laughs> it was a good time. If, if, if you're just thinking about a Hobie, you know, whether a 180, 360, Outback, whatever it is, they have a pond there too. So you can go demo anytime. Uh, yeah so even if you don't want to just pre-order one you want to demo one they literally have their own pond that you can fish and stock with fish so you can pay five dollars and and go catch a big out there and, and go demo a new hobby. so can't beat that heck yeah but yeah tonight we have a great show this is the last of the three-part series on grassroots trails from around the country and tonight we're going up to the northeast where it's i'm glad i'm not there right now god bless these guys because i'm sure it's cold and i could not live in that type of environment but uh yeah so we have mike reinhold from kayak anglers of central pennsylvania joshua evans from mid-atlantic kayak bass fishing and jeremy vrab from new england bass and here they are hey guys how y'all doing thank you for being on the show
5: hey, thanks thank for you. having us hey
1: glad to be here all right
3: so uh, yeah we'll get started with start with you josh uh, Just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into competition, and a little bit about your trail.
5: Yeah, man. So um, I'm Josh Evans. Uh, I'm out here in Maryland. Um, I am one of the guys that helps run Mid Atlantic Kayak Bass Fishing. Uh, I primarily or initially got into kayak fishing, God, probably about seven, eight years ago, um, as an alternative to kind of getting some recreational therapy and getting out on the water and de-stressing. I uh, was active duty army at the time and um,
3: thank you for your service.
5: Oh, amen. Happily. Um, but uh, I went to a heroes on the water event uh, and was introduced to it and fell in love. I mean, the place you could go, um, the price of, you know, purchasing and then maintaining a, a kayak versus a bass boat was night and day. And uh, a couple of the guys that happened to volunteer at that How event uh, told me about Mid Atlantic Kayak Bass Fishing, and I, I went yeah. out a couple of weeks later, hit an event, and here I am, all these years later, helping run the damn thing. So it's pretty cool.
4: Isn't go. it crazy how it cascades, it like just snowballs into that? It really is.
5: came full circle.
4: Yeah, I, I got into it. Didn't think I'd ever take kayak fishing that serious. Never thought I'd fish tournaments, and then boom, I was a director and now i'm running a trail and you sit back and like damn what happened <laughs> well
5: i'll tell you i'll tell you my first experience uh, with an makbf event i showed up i uh, had a like a little dick sporting good special i think it was the old town trip angler 10 right sit-in joint i'm a big dude and barely fit in the cockpit of that thing had one rod holder right in front of me and i was i thought i was the business i got out there <laughs> and these, these boys had some rigs oh my god and, uh, and and I fell in love, man. Um, a year later, uh, before our, our first tournament, we had a tournament on Lake Anna, uh, which is, is a big body of water down here. Uh, and they have a warm side. So even when the, the main lake is frozen over solid, the warm side, you can still fish. And we decided to hold a tournament there uh, sometime mid-February, I think. And I called up the the local Jackson dealer and I said, hey, man, I saw you have this this big tuna on clearance. I'm going to come buy it so I can win this tournament tomorrow. And he was like, uh, all right, dude. Cool. Whatever. Uh, you know, I was all hyped on it. I went and I bought the boat and next day I went out and, and I killed it in the tournament. Uh, I almost killed myself. I fell in the water. I didn't know my boat well and I turtled it in like 30 feet of water. Um, darn near drowned. But long story short, won the tourney, um, got to buy back all the gear I lost and I was absolutely hooked on this sport. Um, and yeah, that's the story, man. I love it. Awesome.
3: And what, what area does mid Atlantic cover?
5: wow so um our trail is kind of unique last year we only really primarily fished maryland with one pa event uh, as an exception but traditionally makbf uh holds an event every month in in a different state so um we'll do one in maryland then go to virginia pennsylvania Mm -hmm. delaware and west virginia they're all kind of clustered around each other here um and there's great bodies of water everywhere um Just last year, we pulled back a little bit because we had established a relationship with uh, Maryland Bass Nation to stand up the first uh, kayak trail with Bass Nation out here in Maryland. Um, But for 2021, we're deviating back out uh, and, and, you know, touching some water outside of Maryland again, which is kind of the roots of what we do in this trail.
4: That's awesome. Cool. And also probably a headache.
5: A little bit. It can be. You got to make sure you don't step on toes. We do we do a lot of stuff uh, in conjunction with other trails. We got to work with other trails. We reach out to Mike and his team uh, pretty much annually. And we have a little throwdown up on the Susquehanna um, or we run a, an event in parallel. Um, so let the guys double dip and have a good old time. And We usually get a lot of heads out there. So, you know, that's that's that great uh, camaraderie camaraderie and, and uh, community piece that that we all really talk about that's that's exactly what that is
3: it seems like maybe with kayak fishing growing and growing a lot of people are <laughs> like all the gaps of territory are being filled in by clubs and it's hard not to
5: step on yeah each other's, you know it is yeah, yeah you got to be really considerate of everybody else's schedules the bodies of water they're fishing uh when they're fishing them you know uh you even want to try to allow uh for no overlap so that way your, your anglers have the opportunity to maximize um, who they compete with and when, you know? Oh, yeah. So it's very important to be considerate of those other trails. Yeah.
6: All right, Jamie, how about you, man? Well, I started fishing since I've been, I don't know, I want to say eight years old in streams, and I uh, went through my high school career. My buddy had a bass boat. We started fishing uh, out of the bass boat, so I guess you can characterize me as kind of going backwards in the kayaks, uh, kayak fishing without actually having one up until about maybe six years ago. Um, So I was a competitive big boat guy. I started as an on-boater. I entered some of the federation tournaments as an on-boater, which means you go on someone else's boat. You learn the bigger bodies of water. Uh, Then a year into that, I ended up uh, buying my own boat. So I'm an avid uh, big boat guy for the last 16 years, one of my own boats sponsored by Nitro Boats and – there's a Marine down the street from me because I'm out of Connecticut. Um, and since I started any bath and being the owner of it, I started seven years ago by myself. And um, I just really like, love the the passionate fishermen out there and trying to grow something from the ground up. And um, I think over the last seven years, we, you know, we successfully have done that. So being a big boat guy, we fish big bodies of water, but there's always that spot where you can get onto your feet, like reservoirs. You're like, man, I wish I could hit that rock or that rock wall or that ledge, you know, 30, 50 yards out. And, you know, and then all of a sudden kind of just all fell together. I said, you know, what? I'm going to go get a kayak. I was sponsored by old town kayaks. Um, and since now, you know, now I'm fishing more kayak tournaments, but I have a really good mix of big boat tournaments, being a big boat director, um, New England Bass. And I mean, we're scattered around the, around the New England area. We have multiple divisions where people can fish. Um, and we have multiple directors underneath myself. We kind of work together, hinge up some dates, make sure it works for them. And we try to provide, you know, really good tournaments that are a little bit smaller. We don't get hundred kayak tournaments. Um, nothing that around here, based on our smaller lakes that we fish. Uh, based on the state regulations, we always give us a number to max out at. We can't go over that threshold, um, and that's what we have out here. I know the KBF <clears throat> that we are partners with. Um, they are coming out here to fish bigger bodies of water, and they are getting the permits for law for you know a larger number. So we kind of cater to that group of anglers, you know, uh, based on a, an area. Sometimes we have multiple divisions in in, in specific states. And that's just because their states are so big where there's People don't want to travel. That's what I learned, you know, a lot about fishing is you, you get a really good hardcore group of anglers who want to go travel, um, fish the KBF nationals. You know, we have a couple of our own uh, directors slash members going down with Jimmy to go fish the temptation who actually qualified as all, as well as fish those KBF opens out there. So we also have a ton of anglers who are just kind of getting new into it. You know, there's, there's a ton of different level of anglers that we've, that, that we get, uh, we go to shows during the off season, unfortunately, because of COVID times, there's no, um, <clears throat> excuse me, there's no shows, but that's where we meet a ton of newbies getting into the sport of bass fishing because they see it all over the place, you know, thanks to your podcast with Pendulum and Finn. Uh, there's a bunch of other podcasts and they just keep popping up more and more just like kayak fishing is. So I appreciate you having us on the show and, you know, we just keep growing and we just offer anglers an opportunity to fish and, and, and to try to compete and earn their way to our, either our regionals or qualify for the KBF National Championship.
3: Cool. Oh, and it, so, what what areas do you does Northeast
6: Bass cover? Yeah, so New England Bass covers. We're in Connecticut. We've been in Mass. We've been in Rhode Island. We've been in uh, New York, but New York is for our big boat series. Um, we're in Vermont. We've been in New Hampshire. So we've been throughout the entire New England area, Rhode Island, Cape Cod. Um, we've been all over the place at some point in the last seven years. Now we kind of focus on in twenty twenty one. We'll have um, divisions in New Hampshire, Massachusetts connecticut rhode island and mass as far as kayak fishing goes um and we do offer the kayak single series which i think most of you guys fish currently Uh, we also started a team series three years ago a bunch of us got together and and it it gives the opportunity for people who are friends to kind of be competitive from a team-based situation compared to just being competitive from a single um, so we offer both of those different divisions, which which is kind of cool. And um, there's obviously a membership through our organization that that's kind of how we keep running. But it, any angler um, once they're a member, they have access to any of those states and any any bass and tournament scattered throughout the region. So people can jump around, travel through us, as well as pick their own dates and and travel with other clubs and organizations scattered around the country as well. That's awesome.
4: We uh, we dabbled with the uh, the team thing in a throwdown one time. And we limited it to two-man teams. That way you didn't have, you know, the five best guys stacking a team out. And that was right. something I think that if you could see more of it, I think it'd take off in kayak fishing for sure. It, totally different dynamic when you're – because, like, we, we made a small rule where, you know, like, each angler has to uh, catch at least one scorable fish, et cetera. And it, it just – I don't know. It took everybody's mindset out of the normal tournament, and it was it was a great time. I bet I bet you'll have a killer, killer turnout with that.
6: Yeah, and and we try to promote. We have a lot of uh, younger anglers as well who are trying to get into the sport of it, just through high school. I mean, I'm a high school teacher myself, and I have a bunch of friends who are also high school fishermen as well. Uh, sorry, who are high school teachers who who started their own little fishing programs or clubs. So we started our own high school series the last two years, which has been great. Um, you know, just seeing it's, it's actually a, a, a high school kayak division created and directed by high school kids to build the resume and bringing together and taking charge and and, and leadership and time management skills through us and myself trying to coach them. Um, One of our directors over the last couple of years, he just left this past season. He got um, almost a full ride to go fish in Tennessee based on his resume and just him loving the sport of bass fishing, you know? So he was fishing with us, he was directing with us um, and then now he's left. So now we have to find someone else for new for 2021, which we do have some co-directors interested, but it's just a cool thing to kind of see it grow and these kids be able to fish and and, and compete versus also adults because now they have also have access to the adult divisions. Um, but I mean just a sport in general, like just like Josh was saying, it's a lot cheaper to have a kayak nowadays and have a sixty-five thousand bass boat that's in my other garage in the back yeah. <laughs> with no gas and everything else. So I love the fact that just kayak fishing, you get to fish waters that you can't get. Accessible through a big boat, you know, or on foot. So, which it's just, uh, you get the fish a lot of skinny water and on a lot of pads and weeds that you just can't get to in a big boat. So, everything's great. I mean, we're we're staying busy, we have about three to four hundred members every year. Um, we try to work with some local clubs, but unfortunately, just like Dan was saying, there's only so many days, so many dates, so many bodies of water. There's someone's going to cross over somebody at some point, and you just can't take it to heart, unfortunately. And you know, it, it's a growing sport for everybody, and there's plenty of anglers who are interested in doing it, and all of us have been doing this long enough. There's definitely more fishermen out there than there are competitive fishermen. They just haven't joined yet, you know, um, or partaked in some. But, yeah, again, I appreciate you guys having us on, and uh, anything you guys need, I'm here to help. So Yeah, man.
3: All right, Mike, last but not least, how about you, man?
1: How did you get into this? Well, I've been fishing my whole life. Uh, I did a lot of competitive bass boat fishing. Fishing uh, up to about nine years ago. And one of the fellows in my club, you may have heard of him, Bernie Stewart, who has the river stick out. He uh, brought a kayak to one of our bass boat tournaments and wouldn't let me leave till I got in it and been <laughs> kind of hooked ever since. Uh, two years later, I sold my bass boat and been theft strictly in a kayak ever since. Uh, I enjoy the camaraderie of it. Uh, the people that are out there are a different type of fishermen on the grassroots level. Now, as you move up competitive wise, uh, you know, it, it gets a little more intense, but even then, I don't think, uh, it's near what it was when I was back in the bass boat tournaments. And, and that's one thing I enjoy. Uh, I started, uh, as director of central PA eight years ago, uh, <laughs> When I decided to start a club in central PA, there was already a club in western Pennsylvania called Kayak Anglers. And I thought the best way to find out what was going on and not make a bunch of mistakes was talk to the fellow that was running that at the time was Noah Heck. And uh, he gave me a pointers and of what to do, what not to do, what they ran into problem wise. Uh, and before you know it, he called and he said, hey, he said, uh, how about we open another chapter in PA? and instead of opening your own chapter come under our leadership worked for me it was a a money-saving prospect on mine and uh you know with less insurance and all that kind of stuff and it's grown ever since uh kayak anglers now has four divisions in pa one in new york one in ohio uh last year we had 320 paid members Uh, so I mean, it's just growing and growing every year, which is a great thing, but yet we try to keep our costs way down, and it's all volunteer. Uh, everybody that works in the groups, no matter what chapter, no matter whether, whether you're judging fish, whether you have a director's position, it's all volunteer, and you know, to me, that's amazing that you can keep something going for this amount of years and keep the same people pretty much in it, pushing it that shows me what a good base of, of fishermen we have and how easy it is to get along with them all and not run into a lot of hassles. Uh, well, there so, you go.
4: What, uh, what, like, give us some area of where y'all fish, you know, some of y'all's favorite body of waters that y'all hit. Yeah.
1: The central PA chapter, we basically, uh, run right up through the center of PA on the Susquehanna river, which, uh, was always one of the premier smallmouth fisheries around now it has taken a hit in the last few years but it is coming back again uh so we fish a lot of moving waters in central pa but we also try to mix it up every year we put it up to a vote to the members of how many lake events they want how many moving water events they want and this year they decided on three moving water events and two lake events uh, which is a pretty good mix because it we have a lot of real good sticks on moving water and uh, it takes some of that away by going to the the lakes then that are in our area are usually real heavy, heavy pressured, And uh, it's a totally different kind of fishing than fishing the rivers. Uh, and it, you, you say the Susquehanna, I've heard other people say this. It's been hurt in the last few years by catfish, right? Well, it's, it's twofold. Uh, the flathead catfish has taken off ridiculously. I mean, it, if you like fishing for flathead catfish, it's great, but uh, they're they're eating machines, basically. Uh, but I think one of the biggest things that hit us the last three years is real high water in the springs coming down from New York, floods a lot of their sewage treatment plants out, and it basically comes down to Susquehanna.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And what happens in the free-flowing part of the Susquehanna, which would be Harrisburg North, uh, it doesn't affect the fishing quite as much because it doesn't give uh in enough time to get into the sediment base of the river now as soon as it passes harrisburg lowhead dam then from there down to the chesapeake there's actually four pools that are dam controlled so as soon as that current dies down all that pollution is settling down in the wearing holes which if you're familiar with a smallmouth mouth winter and on a river it'll go to the deepest hole and just lay in the mud yep and now you have all that bacteria and everything else down there. And it, it really took a toll on the fish for a couple years. Uh, now, last year, we didn't have it near as bad. We saw a little better uh, spawn and a lot better fry. A lot of our fry will grow to six, eight inches in one year, which is a testament to the nutrients that are in the Susquehanna, but uh, it'll come back. It's just a matter of mo- mother nature cures itself as long as man keeps his hands away but that's hard to do
4: (laughs) oh yeah i'm just curious on this i'm a i get kind of nerdy on this stuff so is it was the pollution causing a lot of like fish to die or is it was it mostly just causing them to move out of the area
1: um i think it killed a lot of them off i i mean i have a lot of friends that guide on the susquehanna and in the winter cold months in the wintering holes, they were all complaining of the same thing. Every fish they were catching was uh, had a lot of lesions on it, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But then in the flip side of that, they'd also say that if you pull up, turn your fish finder on in a wintering hole, they said the bottom of it would be solid flatheads. And then you find a few bass at the front and a few bass at the back. Whereas those wintering holes in years past before the flatheads moved in, I mean, they'd hold 100 bass at a time. So, you know, it's kind of a twofold thing, but it, it'll eventually ease itself out because uh, the flatheads eat themselves, too. So as they finally, same way with snakeheads on the Potomac, you know, they'll, they'll find a, a level keel there, hopefully, within the next few years and and, and uh, slow down the process a little bit.
3: And did, did they get there from the floods?
1: The flatheads? Yeah. I really couldn't tell you that. Uh, I mean, they're, they're non-native whether they were brought in or brought up uh, up to about two years ago, they really didn't go much past Harrisburg. And uh, the last two years we've seen them as far as 15, 20 miles up the tributaries like the Juniata and they're starting to get into the North and West branch. So they're, they're moving, you know, North at a pretty brisk pace. Yeah, we,
3: we, we call those redneck biologists down here. They, they do all kind of crazy stuff. <laughs>
6: Uh,
3: all right, so we'll start with a question here. Uh, how about motors? Uh, is that yeah, y'all probably all allow motors, right?
6: Yep, we all.
1: we do. Yeah, we do. No, we do not. We're still no, people. We our our one motto is we're people powered and purpose driven. So we we push the no motors aspect and charity aspect as hard as anything.
3: Okay. Yeah. Oh. So, since this is a, the third one we've done, it's interesting to hear how some clubs. You know, what what all the different how all the differences are between all different clubs. How about uh, limits? Is it all five fish limits for y'all?
5: We're actually switching up to five as of uh, 2021. We've been a three fish limit uh, for everything except for our championships up until now. But uh, the level of competition is is so stout uh, with our field of anglers that we decided we're gonna move it up to five um, and see who can separate themselves from the pack. And, uh, yeah, that's really it, man. We've got guys that travel nationally to compete, um, and do really well. They started out fishing with us and and still come back and still fish with us. But, uh, the traveling from state to state and fishing rivers, lakes, tidal bodies of water, um, have made them very well versed, very well rounded anglers. So, um, we decided to go ahead and bump that limit up and see what, what they can do. I've always like my whole thought process on it is
4: when you go five, you can, like you said, it, you know, it'll change it up a little bit because it takes away the chance of one big fish, you know, making the big difference, you know, like our club down here is three fish and we had a guy that caught a 25 and two seventeens, and he'll straight admit, you know, if I had not caught the 25, then I would have had a mediocre day. You know, if you had a caught a 25 and a guy, you know, Two seventeens, 17s two and you have a guy catch all 19s you know it just changes the dynamic up of how the scoring goes up I, I just i think five should be just the standard you know everywhere with with all the big trails all the national guys doing it five is just a you know nice standard to get you ready for wherever you're going
5: well i'll tell you what we um, like i said we've done three fish from our inception and um we've got some absolute hammers uh <laughs> Jedediah uh, (laughs) Plunkert, who he's been an MAKBS guy since the beginning. Yeah, I think everybody in uh, the kayak fishing world has, and if they don't, they've been under a rock. But um, he took the season off from us this last season and went and and laid some wood with Mike and his team over there. (laughs) But, uh, you know, that dude would come out consistently and put up three fish stringers that were 58 to 61 inches consistently. And then this past season – uh, at MKBF, we had two or three different guys, uh, a guy named David Burt, who was our ang- uh, rookie of the year and, and came pretty close to being our angler of the year as well, um, that was putting up, you know, him, Steve Sisto, a couple other guys were putting up 58-inch to 68-inch limits, um, you know, in multiple tournaments. And, you know, we had to pull back and say, yeah, we got to give some people a chance here. You know, if you can go out there and and hit you know, high 90s to 100 inches. Hell yeah, you deserve to win it, right? But let's, let's, let's make it a little bit bigger. Um, and, and, you know, aside from just the, the potential of winning the tournament, right, um, we also work with uh, Dr. Joe Love, Maryland title bassing manager, um, who, uh, you know, he, he does a lot of the fish catch surveys for the big bass tournaments out here, bass boats, and now with us, the kayak tournaments as well. Um, Our secretary, Adam Huggaboom, is on that same uh, title, Black Bass Council. And, um, you know, doing the five fish limits is going to help us submit a little more accurate fish catch counts, um, which kind of helps them in tracking, you know, growth progress, uh, especially with us using CPR format. You know, Um, they're able to see the, the size and quality and quantity of those fish in certain fisheries that we're fishing that maybe don't get, the same level of attention or same, you know, surveys, things like that. Right. Um, So we just felt like stepping up to five across the board was, was very beneficial in a lot of aspects for us.
4: That's awesome to hear. We had a club last week that they had the same thing uh, that, you know, they work directly with the DNR and everything with their fish catch data. And that that's big. Like I I wish more, more States and clubs could come down with deals like that because all that data helps. I mean, maybe you never know. Maybe data like that could have prevented or helped slow things down, like with the uh, Asian carp and Kentucky Lake or with the flatheads and on the Susky stuff like that,
5: you know? Well, I'll I mean, tell you, Mike, Mike even mentioned it. You know, we've got the Northern snakeheads here. We've got them and the, and the blue cats on the tidal Potomac, but the Northern snakehead, you know, they reproduce unlike any other fish I've ever seen. I think it's twi- <laughs> twice a year yeah. Um, and they are, they are ferocious, you know, uh, predators. I mean, they're, they're apex as far as their little food chain goes. Um, and they look and, awesome. Oh, and they taste, they're the most amazing tasting fish you'll probably ever eat. And if you really? haven't had them, oh God, picture, picture a crappie flay that's 30 inches long. And there you go. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's so, so good, but you know, um, God, I don't even know where I was going with that. I'm sorry. I started thinking about eating fish. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Same. I don't um, know what you're talking about. I'm just like, Ooh. But yeah, it,
5: you know, the, the tracking, right? So, uh, we do hold, you know, at least one, if not two events on the tidal Potomac every year. Um, and you know, uh, the Northern snakehead and the other invasive species, they try to keep as much data on them and get as much data on them as they can. Um, we haven't worked with them so much, uh, or too much in the past, the DNR that is. However, Um, that relationship's growing as they, as they take notice of kayak fishing and our tournaments and the fact that we're not out there just, you know, running and gunning and, and trying to cash checks, but there's a little more to it, right? There's the conservation piece. There's, um, you know, that catch photo release. What, what data can they get from us that could benefit our fisheries, right? So, um, you know, we're really looking forward to working with them more and seeing if we can't contribute contribute more to helping improve the fisheries that we enjoy
4: and correct me if I'm wrong I I know I think it was maybe Georgia that has the rule but you are not allowed to release a snakehead if you catch it correct
5: no that's not correct actually um so the total potomac is Maryland and Virginia primarily um and they they now you can't keep them you can't transport them live so if you do keep them you have to kill them but you can catch photo release a snakehead as well Okay. And there's a there's a lot of advocates uh, for the northern snakehead that are trying to get the the rules around them uh, so they're changed to a game fish that's more regulated because right now they're an invasive species and and there's no regulation you can go out there and, and kill a hundred of them in a day and keep them all if you wanted, um, but what's happening is we've got bow fishermen and they go and they they go out there and they'll they'll kill you know thirty to sixty of them and they'll leave them on the bank they won't take them you know, clean them, nothing. It's like, okay, I got it. You know, you, you enjoy the sport, sport of bow fishing, but now what, you, you know, yeah. you could put that fish to good use. You could, you could feed some folks with it. Right. Um, but, but they, people are lazy and careless. You
3: can't sell them. It, it seems like an invasive species, you can probably sell
5: it, right? I mean, you can, but you have to have commercial licensing, I believe to do yeah. that. Um, yeah. I mean, God, I'll tell you what, my wife is Cambodian, uh, Chinese and Vietnamese. And her, when her mom found out that they had northern naked out here, she's out in California where we're from. And originally she went out and bought a freezer and asked me to start mailing her fish because where they're from, <laughs> um, in Cambodia, it's, it's a delicacy and, and rightfully so. I mean, it's amazing. Hey,
4: you're the first person I've heard that's had a good explanation for it.
5: But I'll break it down.
3: Big crappie is like, okay. I mean, it, I should have
5: said that before. I get it. <laughs> like I'll tell you what they're slimy and nasty. They got some teeth that are that are unreal. I mean, they got layers of teeth like a, like a little miniature shark, man. But um but the actual fillets once you get that that slimy ass skin cut off, um the fillets is like some of the whitest, flakiest, sweetest meat. You know, you, you fry it in some panko breadcrumbs and throw it on a bed of jasmine rice and and throw a little salt on that joint, and you're good, man. It's it's yeah. absolute money. Hey,
4: Catfish are slimy and greasy and smell bad, too. They taste amazing when you fry one up. Uh, You
5: wouldn't touch a catfish again if you had this stuff. I I tell you,
4: if if I had a way to get that much crappie-style meat without all that work,
5: hey, I'm in. (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah. They are a blast to catch, I'll say that. What's that? I say they are
1: a blast to catch. I've heard that
4: it's a good fight,
1: too. They're like little freshwater tarpon. As soon as you hook them, they're... Up out of the water and even when they're you even when you have them in the boat, they're snapping at you. oh <laughs> yeah. They got an attitude.
4: Well, yeah. we're gonna get away from the paddling fin fish cooking corner over here. Uh we got off subject a little bit. So uh Jamie, uh what's y'all's limit? Five, three, four? Yeah, so
6: our kayak series traditionally, you know, like everybody else when we first started off, we we have stuck to the three fish limit for our kayak series. Uh, but we have bumped it to five fish since we started for the kayak team series that we have. Um, You know, unlike Josh, we're not getting 50 to 100 kayakers, um, you know, based on highly, highly competitive. We do have a a slew of people who obviously are uh, you know highly competitive, but we're also going for that angler who just wants to just start, see what these tournaments are about. And I think the majority of the directors that, you know, that we have, there's like 24 of us when we did talk about it last year to try to up it, they are like, you know, there's no, it gives everybody a shot if there's three going on the complete difference of what Josh was saying as far as, you know, he, if all those guys can catch fish, three fish, then yeah, by all means bumping up. But we don't, our whole level of anglers that we have, not everybody can catch three fish. Some get two, some get three. And don't get me wrong, there's anglers who are catching 10, 20 fish a day. Um, it's just, if we did that... I, I would say there would be maybe half the field, maybe even more than three quarters of the field would have five fish, but there would be kids or older adults and people who are just novices. They wouldn't get it. And I don't know if it would have a positive impact or a negative impact. So we've just kept it to three for right now. And, you know, it might change down the road, Um, but that's what we're doing.
4: It's this is probably the one argument in, in our sport that I think that there's no wrong way to do it, honestly, because there's, Mm -hmm there's positives. If you look at it one way and negatives and the same thing for both, you know, either, either like Josh said, you've got the guys that are consistently on top and that's why you need that movement.
5: Mm-hmm. Or
4: you've got a lot of newbies, a lot of youngs guys catching one, two fish or blanking. And that keeps them in the hunt. So it's, 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 I don't think there's any, I mean, uh, was it queen city that does four? Is that right, Dan? I mean, you could always
6: step up. you did even talked about that before. Yeah. We've talked about it. So we'll see. Maybe we'll, we'll revine in a couple more months just before our season and see what we could do from there. But yeah, we're always open to make changes and kind of go with the times and kind of keep up with everybody else. So thank you, man.
1: Got you, Mike. Uh, in the past, we've always been uh, three fish limited in our regular events. And then each chapter holds uh, what we call a major event each year with a higher entry fee. And uh, with that, we go with the five fish limit because of the higher entry fee and the, the bigger number of anglers that they usually bring to the major events. Uh, I think Josh, uh, his group came up to our one major a couple years ago, we had 101 anglers on the Susquehanna. Wow. And, uh, and there again, Jed, Jed Plunker happened to win that one, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was a real good payout with the major entry fee and, uh, with yeah. the five fish limit, it kept everybody in it to the end. It was, it was a really close tournament. Uh, This year, I think there is some discussion of of maybe upping it to five. And then we also do some special events like we run charity events. Uh, We do what's called a 360 challenge in the spring when our waters are actually closed and we can't hold anything organized with more than 10 people. Uh, Here in Central PA, what we do is we take uh, six anglers a week and let them fish any body of water they want for six hours, 360 minutes. And then each week's winter goes into a final, uh, beginning of June, uh, where we usually give a kayak away, uh, to that. And there again, uh, we'll probably go with a five fish limit on that this year, just because, uh, last year we instituted it, there was so many fish being turned in that it, it's going to even things out across the board, I believe a lot better we kept the three fish for a long time uh, under the same understanding that new people coming in gives them a little more opportunity to, to get there. But then we were seeing the same thing that every event was being the top five or the same five people. So by going with a little, little higher limit, I think that'll even some of that out. And, uh, you know, time will tell, and we can always go either way, but, uh, for now, that's what we're going to do. Yeah, I, I actually agree with that. I,
4: I think I wish more clubs, you know, some clubs get, you know, stuck in their ways and it's fine. But, I mean, what's the harm in one year trying something? I mean, you take the data you get from it and you either go back to what you used to do or stick with the times or whatever what direction you went. But I was going to ask you a question just because I'm genuinely interested in fishing the Susky. You know, that that's y'all's thing. Best time of year to be out there. What do you say?
1: Uh, best time if you want to fish it for big fish is actually during the closure. Uh, it's only, it's another, I don't know if you're familiar with PA regulations, but bass season is closed from the second weekend in April to the second weekend in June where it's no harvest statewide, but you can catch, you can't hold any events. You can't do catch photo release, but you can catch and release fish and anytime from end of March, uh, to the second week in june if you get the right water conditions or if if you ever want to come up and fish it in real high water give me a shout i'll put you in some tributaries that you'll go in and i mean you can have a 70 80 fish day with half of them over 16 inches wow it's just amazing! it's an amazing time to fish in the springtime on the susky uh and also, the Juniata tributary to the Suski, it's it's actually just as good, probably better numbers-wise right now, but not size-wise. Uh, we had a lot of tournaments. Uh, I know Jeff Little and Jed Plunker came up and fished a uh, uh, one of Drew Gregory's tournaments that was held here in the fall in conjunction with oh, one yeah. of our events on the river. And uh, they both turned in over 100 inches on five fish, five uh, smallmouth. Jeez. With uh, Jeff actually took a picture of a six seven, so that's that's the biggest one I've ever seen come out of. this. I Susquey. don't know how my heart would handle
4: a six <laughs> seven, Smalley. I would I would I stroke it out. That. Hope somebody caught it before it went back in the water.
1: If I mean I don't know how much smallmouth fishing you've done, uh, but if you've done a lot of lake smallmouth fishing, uh, and I think Joshua will back me up on this, the fish in the susky are a whole other strength level. Oh dear Lord, yes. In other words, you hook a fifteen inch, and you're going to swear you got a twenty. Yeah, so that you get it in.
4: That's me. I'm a. I do a lot of moving water stuff in the south, and I'm North Alabama, and we we surprisingly do have smallies, and it it always blows my mind. Like an, an eighteen inch smallie that might barely weigh two pounds will drag you all over that that little creek or river. Oh, yeah. and that's what interests me about. Like I watched the. I think it was the Hobie that was on the Susquee last year, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I was kind of just dumb to what the Susquehanna was. And after seeing that, I'm taking notes because that that's like right up my alley. Moving water, smallmouth, and y'all definitely will have more size than we will. So,
1: that's Jimmy, why i got it down every message. Season. We'll get you in the good spots.
5: Heck yeah, <laughs> well, Jimmy. I, guess, I, guess,
1: I, guess I tell you that that water
5: was so skinny up there, man. Oh, sorry, Jimmy. Go ahead. Go ahead, man. Not, man. <laughs> That I was is. gonna say the, the water during that BOS was so shallow, just skinny. I mean, the river was ultra low, uh, and I personally don't even think the river showed out in contrast to what it's capable of. Man, that that place is magical. So if it's you ever get a chance, better when it's high, uh, Mike, what do you say? I mean, I, not, I'll fish not it no matter high, what, but not
1: exceedingly high, except right in the
5: springtime
1: uh even flood levels in the springtime as long as you time it with the water clarity
5: uh the fishing can be phenomenal yeah definitely yes (laughs) if you guys get a chance go back and check out jeff little's fish from a couple years ago you it'll it'll move you to tears i swear to god
6: (laughs) mike those dates that you gave in the susky were those is that spring or is that going into the spawn
1: Yeah, that would basically be during the spawn. Uh, The fish up here, the first wave will start coming in probably around the middle middle to beginning of March, depending on water conditions and temperature. And I've seen them spawn all the way into the end of June, you know, in two or three waves. Uh, Usually the bigger fish are the first to come in, and it seems to get progressively smaller after that, but the numbers will go up.
6: Yeah, we have the same situation i mean we don't have your big of uh rivers out out there that we have out here we have the connecticut river that goes into the ocean out here which is our our biggest river that flows through vermont you know massachusetts connecticut all the way into the ocean but uh it's the same thing like the spawn usually is you know to the end of march later in the march because the water's still cooler coming down from the from the mountains in vermont and such but it usually fishes very well when it floods and the backwaters Mm -hmm. start to rise because that's where those fish are going you know for food and trying to find their spot to hunker down but um and based on that Smalley, man we had a for our regional championship which, which we have at the end of every every year for each of our divisions that we run our kayak our kayak team and our big boat divisions i don't know if any of you guys ever fished the saint lawrence river any of you guys i want no. to well if you haven't it's on my list have you mike no but
1: it's on my list
6: mine yeah. too you should put it on all of your list. Uh we ended up catching a six-nine on day one. That was our first fish of the tournament for our big boat tournament series. We didn't have the kayaks out there. It's not necessarily as, uh it's not very it's not a very safe place to be on a kayak, um, depending on where you're going, just because that river is so strong. And there's so many giants out there. I mean, I'm sure you guys watch them all laugh for all the pros and stuff and Main Lake River stuff. But we ended up catching a 6'9". That was the first fish you caught. And, like, all all of our hearts just stopped. And when I was in the net, I I think we just hung out for about five minutes, (laughs) laid on the bow, and then just got after it again. But they're just giants in that place. And the the numbers there are completely crazy nonstop. So if you guys ever go there, definitely – I could highly recommend it. We're going back again for our regional championship in August again. We'll be up there. So – it's an exciting place, that's for sure. Man, but just taking all
4: sorts of good notes, man. I'm yeah. my list of destinations is getting kind of out of hand.
3: <laughs> that's a, that's a bad thing about this podcast. Like, you know, you you want to get all these different places. It's it's tough too. But the fishing's so great around the country, you know.
6: I think the K, uh, the KBF's having one of their events. I don't know, I, I don't know if you guys have ever fished Candlewood Lake in Connecticut.
3: I've heard. I, I knew they were going there, but no, I, I've heard of it, never been there.
6: Mike, Mike and Josh, you ever fished it before? Because you guys are close.
5: Oh, nah, man. Uh, Ken Wood and Gardner both tell me about it, especially Ken Wood, but I, I have yet to go up there myself.
6: Yeah, so Candle was like our, technically our number one lake in Connecticut. It's in the Bathmaster magazines. It's probably right. I think last time I checked, it was like 12th or 14th in the country just for smallmouth. Um, that's what it's known for. Years ago, I wish, uh, Mike, I wish we actually had regulations in Connecticut. I've always been a, advocate for it to not catch fish during the spawn or not have tournaments um i feel like it just especially for the big boat side of things when they catch the fish off a of bed or putting in the live well they're going away they're transferring fish and move location that fish is never going go back and find its bed again um whether some mother fish goes and takes the bed who knows but i wish we had regulations in connecticut because i feel like the fishing in connecticut would definitely get back to where it used to be there's still great lakes um to fish and and, and ponds and such but I wish we had some more regulations in Connecticut and I don't know why they won't. I know when we started seven years ago, when we first talked to the DP in Connecticut, they were so excited that we were just doing catch measure release because we we're the first ones to do it ever in Connecticut. And they are like, Oh, what do you mean? You're not catching fish? How many you no, it's all catch, measure, release. So we can catch as many fish as we want. <laughs> there's no calling, there's no nothing. Um, but that's just the nippet. Definitely, if you guys can come down to Canada tournament, that would be a good one. I I, I actually purposely cleared my schedule, I think. From my director role to uh, get out there on the on the old town, hopefully <laughs> May when they're fishing.
3: That's awesome. Cool. So, what? I, something that I, I'm always interested in is y'all have a lot of permit issues, right? Like, can can you kind of talk about that and how permits work and how many people you can have and, and things like that and those issues? Because we we don't have that down here where I live in Alabama.
6: That's because you guys are spoiled. That's why.
3: Yeah. But our like you just said, like we catch fish all year and, you know, we're stunting the growth of our fisheries and every, you know, there's no rules. There. Oh,
4: like, I agree. Like you were saying, like, I've actually uh, sent an email before to, to Lake Gunnersville. Like, you know, it, it's gotten hammered so heavy by the, the big boats and there's 5 million local tournaments. I think that yeah, it doesn't even have to be permanent, but I would think for three years, you know, uh, regulate the fishing during you know february to may and because they've talked about how the, the the fish numbers have gone down the size etc which last year didn't show that you know every tournament that was there was putting up huge huge bags but but yeah go go ahead get on to the permit they thing. championship
6: they just had that at gunnersville in 2020 right is that where they yep. were Yep. Yeah. One of our, one of our any members that actually took the whole event down, uh, Matt content, he's, he's right from Massachusetts. One of our boys, he actually just before this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. He's, he's a force to be reckoned with for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. He's a great dude. And, uh, he repped all of our gear, just being true to his colors and, and where we came from speaking of grassroots. But, uh, as far as permit goes, I don't know what you guys have in, in, Pennsylvania or guys in Maryland, but our permits in the Northeast are kind of based on the uh, size of the body of water, the, which also coincides to the size of the ramps. So in Connecticut specifically, they do not give any permits uh, larger than what half of the ramp can hold. So for instance, if the boat launch at Lake X holds 20 boats, they won't give us anybody a permit club organization, a permit more than 10 boats based on the kayak side of things. 10 boats is referring to 10 trailer spots Right, where they will now permit us for 20 kayakers after trying to fill them in and educate them years okay. ago. So they understand that we could fit two cars back to back, which equals a truck and a boat <laughs> or a trailer. So we get 20 spots. Um, Based on that 10 spot requirement. Now, when you guys go to, you know, like the Candlewood events, it's always half. That's just how it runs in Connecticut. I think in Massachusetts, they do something similar to that. But I, I know in some locations, they base that's solely based on the size of the body of water. Um also Mass has a has a weird rule, which is why we can never host a regional out there uh, for us, anyways, is because once you get over the twenty-four angular threshold, you have to have Massachusetts like DEP officer insurance that has to stay there the whole duration of the time of the event, which is like five hundred dollars. So you're losing five hundred dollars entry fees to go put towards someone to sit there and watch the ramp while you guys are fishing. Um it's so it's yeah, you it's, your stuff or No, it's only in Massachusetts as far as I know. Connecticut doesn't do that. New Hampshire, Vermont, Rhode Island. um, Nobody else does that. What's the benefit of it? I mean, obviously
4: you don't like it because you can't get the permit there, but what's the benefit of that person being there?
6: for the state to make some money. I I have no, no he's regulating it and like checking fish or doing conservation stuff with us. Uh, But that's why we never have hosted a regional event in in Massachusetts because it just, we we get over 24 anglers at our regionals, you know? Um, But that's kind of how that works as far as permit goes. So we're kind of confined. So we can't run like you guys, Mike and Josh, you guys are running 50 to 120 people uh, events we just can't physically do that at one location or one ramp. The only way to do it is if uh, it had multiple ramps, then we would have to secure each ramp. And a lot of our events, um, unlike the KBF, where you can kind of go wherever you want to go and launch wherever you want to launch from, we are that organization that kind of, hey, this is the one ramp we're meeting at. We have a morning meeting. We talk, we and then questions, concerns, and we all blast off together at the same time. And where I know other clubs kind of say, hey, the tournament starts at 7.30 go whenever you want lines in the water at seven 30. So we kind of do things a little bit more, I guess, regulated, if you want to call it that I mean, it's the wrong word. Um, just so it's kind of, everyone's together. There's no separation and, and, and you kind of go from there. So,
3: okay.
6: That's how that was.
1: Right.
6: How about you? A uh,
1: PA PA wise. Uh, we pretty much have to permit anything over 10 anglers. Uh, i will give the fish commission props on the fact that they're very thorough in, in getting the permits back to you they'll work with you as far as i know with us using a lot of moving water sometimes we get flooded out high water they'll work with us real easily as far as changing dates that sort of thing uh if there's no cost to the permits uh, with the exception if you go to a state park you will pay a fee to use the state park uh and their basic thing looking at it is there again they don't want to tie one boat ramp up with 50 vehicles that only holds 30 vehicles and we get a sort of away with a lot of that on the, the susquehanna because most of our events will cover like a 30 mile stretch of river that may have eight launches in it so you know everybody's spread out or doing a float and that kind of thing so so it's really not a lot of crowding at the ramps and then we'll try a except with covid this year we always had a a meeting spot at the end of the day where we'd either have some food do the awards uh give outdoor prizes that sort of thing sometimes it was at a ramp sometimes it was at an outfitter uh restaurant you know whatever we could find that that would allow us to be there and that we could maybe help them by being there uh the permit <laughs> process is fairly simple but there again we're cut down a little bit because like i said uh, from the second week in April to the second week in June, you cannot hold uh, a tournament. So as far as kayaks go, you're going from April, March, February, uh, January, which we don't like to put anybody in the the water on them conditions. I mean, not that a lot of our guys don't fish in dry suits and all that kind of stuff, but some guys don't, and you don't want to take a chance of sending them out there that early. So that basically puts our tournament season into – june july august september and october so we try to work everything in those and with with all the different divisions that uh, we have each division has five angular of the year tournaments so right there's uh 30 tournaments a year that we've got to get fit in somewhere and not try to cross over dates and work with the other groups like josh Mm -hmm. and pennsylvania kayak fishing association and all the other ones that you know everybody's working together and guys are are cross entering from one to the other. So it helps everybody out. But, uh, yeah, the permit situation and up till two, two years ago on the Susquehanna bass season was actually shut down from, uh, beginning of April to the second week in June where you could not even fish for them. In other words, you were not even allowed on the water, uh, in the middle susquehanna and upper susquehanna to target bass at all in those times they were trying to allow them to come back and uh, give them a break during the spawn and, and it really worked i mean a lot of guys were upset about it but uh, i'll give the fish commission props for it uh, I, I saw a huge increase in size of fish uh, as far as numbers there was always a lot of numbers there but you didn't have the size
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, it really made a big difference that way now a couple of years ago, they opened it back up now to just catch and release. So we'll see how that holds up over the next couple of years. But every two years on the Susquehanna, they actually do a survey and compare it back. I think it's 14 years ago, uh, they started keeping data on the spawns and uh, young of the year. And if it gets below a certain threshold, then they'll shut it down again, which you know, to me is uh, they're doing a heck of a job to keep it up that way. Yeah, for sure.
4: Oh, yeah. People complain all the time about, like, DNR and conservation, like, things that they do. But it's all, I mean, for a reason. You know, It, like, if you, I listen to a lot of, like, Western hunting podcasts. And when they get a wildlife biologist on and they can actually break down, you know, this is why we don't, you know, we allow you to shoot three of these this year between, you know, 2,000 tags, blah, blah, blah. there's actually a lot of science in it so you know trust your trust your dnr people if they're shutting you down it's for a good reason and it's just going to bring it back even better
3: yeah they're not just
4: trying to take your fishing away from you
3: it's making sense like that like they have a level this is if it goes below the level they shut down that makes total sense sometimes down here out in the gulf the snapper season they do all kind of crazy stuff down here that to most people, it doesn't make sense. And then you have commercial versus, you know, the regular everyday guy fishing. And so but that that makes total sense for sure. All right, Josh, how, how about y'all, man? Do y'all have any permit issues down there?
5: Um, uh, pretty much in line with what Mike was saying. Um, you know, we have to get get cozy with uh all of the different local state permitting folks (laughs) because we work in in several different states and we got to make sure that we are abiding by their rules per each state um the state parks uh, in maryland are probably the toughest they're uh nine times out of ten they drag their feet a bit and they have some uh relatively high fees um to use the bodies of water now on the on the converse of that um those Fishing bodies of water are usually stellar bodies of water. Um, I have I have a favorite lake. i Am going to say it on here? But um, it, I mean, it's it's like a Maryland trophy lake. But they want an arm and a leg to host a tournament there. So you know, you got it's a give and take. Um, the tidal fisheries and um, the majority of the rivers and stuff we don't run into the permitting issues as far as number of participants. Uh, at the onset of COVID, we did have to delay. The start of our season, um, they had shut down all recreational fishing in Maryland. Initially, uh, they said you were only allowed to go out and fish for sustenance. No tournaments were happening, and um, our, tur- our our uh, secretary for our club, uh, he's an active duty marine, uh, Adam Huggleboom, he penned this this like opus of how to have these catch photo release tournaments and and still abide by all the different COVID standards and measurements. Um, and the, uh, the Maryland DNR actually adopted that and pushed it out to their tournament directors, both um, in the basketball side and kayak side, and said, hey, here's kind of a, a framework of how you can now hold tournaments. Uh, and Here's how we suggest you do it, rather than, say, live weigh-ins, which are traditionally how the glitter boats do it, right? Um, so that was pretty cool to see. Uh, we were able to, to start kicking off our tournaments to do it again. Uh, we weren't able to have our large group gatherings, you know, for awards and such and the captain's meetings prior to, but we, we, you know, adapt and overcome, uh, you know, the virtual captain's meetings uh, on Facebook uh, the award ceremonies after the fact, and then meeting up to, to deliver, you know, any uh, sponsor products to, to people that have won them um, was kind of how we, we managed to mitigate the issues that, that we encountered with COVID and everything else. Um, other than that, though, there haven't been any permitting issues, and we're hoping that 2021 is smooth. Um, it's looking good so far from what I hear from the other guys that help run the trail.
1: Cool. That
3: was awesome. awesome. And, yeah. and kind of one question we to kind of wrap this up. It's been a, about an hour now. Uh, is there – being a tournament director and having done it for a while, what's the one piece of advice – that you would give to another, maybe a new club or a different tournament director, maybe another club that's not doing something as good as what they could? What's, a, what's one piece of advice? We'll start with you, Mike.
1: Uh, don't be afraid to review your rules if you have to. Uh, you know, Stick to the rules that you have at the time, but if the next season you see something needs reviewed, or needs updated, uh, you know, take a vote on it and try to get your people involved in it. Uh, keep it fun. That's, that's the biggest thing I can tell you. Uh, if if guys come and enjoy themselves, they're going to keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back and bring their friends with them. So.
6: That's right. Absolutely. I mean, being an educator, uh, kind of run my business as I can run my classroom, I guess you have to be kind of stern. You have to be firm. Just like Mike was saying, you have to be able to, If you have to go back to your rules, you have to have some rules, you know, Um, and but you always have to be willing to adjust, hear other people's support or suggestions um, and being able to come collectively as a group to be able to make those suggestions, make sure everyone's on the same page. And I think one of the biggest reasons why I became a director and slash business owner of a fishing brand is because we wanted difference and we wanted change. Um, and the biggest thing for us was to try to have a really fun family environment with a great atmosphere for, so people could come back and enjoy themselves fishing. And it wasn't so much political, um, or groupies of just say, hey, we're all here to have a, have a good time. We're all here to catch some fish and we're just sharing the passion and love for the same sport of bash fishing that you guys do. So. Cool. Josh, how about you?
5: Yeah, I got a couple of things really. Um, <laughs> one, one, it's a lot of work. So make sure you assemble a solid team that is going to be as dedicated as you are. So you're not doing it all yourself. It's a lot of heavy lifting. Um, you know, listen to your anglers, right? Listen to the people that the patrons of, of your trail. I mean, none of us are doing this to get rich for damn sure. Um, but you know, that whole, if you build it, they will come. Well, they got to help you continue to build it or they're going to leave. Right. Um, and lastly, don't try to poach other trails, man. Um, that's a big one to me. Like Some good advice, sir. I, I'm a big fan of working with your neighbors, right? But if you're a brand new tournament director, don't reach out to, to an established trail and say, hey, man, how can I get your anglers to fish my tournament trail? Like, I get it, you know? Um, you want more people to come out to your events, and, and hell, we'd probably come out to them. But, you know, just trying to, to slide into to a group page or something and grab them anglers with a quick grab instead of doing the work. Nah, that's not the way to do it, man. That's not what this is about, right? That that's kind of contrary to this community and 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 what we're all trying to accomplish out here in my opinion. You know, it's crazy that I can actually say I've seen a lot of that. Mhm.
4: And most of the time we've talked about before it'll fizzle out because a lot of those people don't realize like you said, like there's a lot of legwork, you know, it's stress and A lot of talking, a lot of emails, and a lot of being angry and needing a drink. (laughs) And I'll tell you what,
5: taste of it, they're out, you know. (laughs) I'll tell you what, Jimmy. So originally, this trail was started by one guy, Matt Baden. Um, And then he passed it on to uh, Matt Campbell, who did it for a couple of years. And now Matt has passed it on to Aaron White, who's our president, right? Um, Matt Campbell is still part of a five man team that we have running. Makbf, right um we got a couple guys that judge fish but we all collectively work on pieces i do sponsorship i got we got another guy that does all of the permitting we had another guy that goes to all of the the bass nation meetings and and does all that organizational pieces um and and really collectively we're like a voltron right uh Vo- voltron's only as strong as, as all five lines put together right uh, <laughs> i love it they're all pretty damn cool by themselves but you get them together and they do some really cool shit. so that's kind of how i look at mkbf uh, we're only as strong a, a, you know we're much stronger together than we are solo for sure um man, to to start a what's that now
3: nothing man you, you blew me away with that with that voltron reference
4: you want to Man, talk about flashing back real fast yeah. i just like
3: oh
4: <laughs> uh,
5: hey funny funny story i bought my son a voltron robot a, a full-size one you know uh probably a couple years ago and he he busted it out out of nowhere yesterday so that just made me think about it and it was it was <laughs> the corner of my eye but uh but i mean it makes sense right you know you, yeah. you can you're only as strong as your weakest link and and if you're gonna there's no iron team right i'll throw all the different cliches out there but they're all there for a reason Sure. And, and you can't be successful 100 on your own in doing these trails and if you are god bless you because you've got more energy and time than i do amen
3: all right well, we'll sp- uh, at the end of the show we'd like to give everybody a chance to you know give a shout out to any, any company or any person that makes your fishing easier and in, in your trail too uh josh you're the sponsorship god will start with you <laughs>
5: Uh, for myself personally, wow! Uh, I'd like to thank Jackson Kayak. I've been paddling Jackson Kayak for a lot of years. Um, I love the way they're laid out, and and they've they've just taken good care of me ever since I've been part of the team. Um, I Rod, P Line, uh, Malone, Auto Racks. I mean, just a whole bunch of really cool deals. Oh, and and Ben and Branches. I just joined the Bending Branches team, which is pretty hey, cool. Hey. Yeah. Hey. Me too. hey, me too. I know I saw that Jimmy. I saw your post. Um, hey. I'm <laughs> I'm not a, a brand whore by any means. If I associate myself with a particular product, it's because I believe in it and I enjoy using it avidly, um, and and like to help other people get involved and, and use it and see the benefits of it. Right? Um, for MAKBF, we have a lot of the same sponsors. Um, you know, are uh, our, our, really our biggest ones. Uh, these last couple years have been Malone and Irod. This last year, they they've done some really great things for us. Uh, Yak Attack. KuRag, Orion Coolers, Jackson Kayak—I mean, God, the list goes on. Um, there's so many wonderful sponsors, and and again, you know, I know we do a lot of stuff um, to to benefit them and market for them, but they do a lot of stuff for these trails and for these anglers, and they enable us to have these events and and hand out prizes at the end, right? Um, and that that brings more people, and it's just a, it's a it's a wonderful circle of things. And without them, I mean, we wouldn't be where we are today. So thank you. And thank you guys too. Big time for having us on. No,
6: thank y'all. And Jamie, how about you? Man, I want to thank, you know, my friends, family, my followers, um, especially my directors, as well as members. I mean, there's no way I would have even started this. This wasn't even my idea, the whole New England Bassin deal seven years ago. It was a group of anglers who, who I was directing a national tournament trail for. They, they pushed me to kind of continue to grow something different. And, and so I want to thank all those guys and everyone else who has followed us over the years to push me to be able to do this. Because as you guys all know, as directors and, and owners, it's, it, it's a ton of work, dedication, blood, sweat and tears. So I want to thank all those guys as well as a bunch of my personal slash any bass and sponsors, uh, Goose Hummock Shops, Sublime Jerseys, Kistler Rods, Lose Reels, New England Brewery, Twice a Spice. Um, X-Zone, Lures, The Rod Glove, Swagger Tungsten, Thayer's Marine, Shelter Logic, uh, Calco's Fishing, Tightline Anchors, Pro Tournament Scales, Cabin Creek Baits, Z-Man, Cattails and Cornfields. Sorry for the long list, but we got a lot of people who helped us be successful, so I'm just going to wrap them all off. Trigger Happy Comfort Grips out of California, Yum and Head In, which is Lure Nap, uh, the Crazy Hick Bait Company. Uh, Cover Quest, Procure Sense, Kitek, Samantha's Baits, Mayo's Hand Poured Baits, Anthony's Ocean View, and Gage Jigs. So I appreciate everyone's support and followers and uh, being able to bring us all together doing a sport we all love. So awesome. Sorry for the lengthy thing, but. No. Yeah.
4: Right. Hey, hey, hey. Dude, that's hey. what they want out of you, dude. Like, that's right. Yeah, it never gets done correctly. Good job.
6: <laughs> well, I had my phone here. I was kind of cheating. I couldn't, there was no way <laughs> I was going to rip up all those babies off. So, a <laughs> yeah, your sponsor. That's like, i be honest. All, I'll be sponsorships. <laughs> all right, Mike, how about you?
1: Uh, being six different chapters and 300 members, it's hard to get chapter wide sponsors. But two, I'd like to mention is fishing online. They've been, they've been with us for a long long time and uh big real big supporters of us and also the river's edge canoe and kayak uh they've been one of our sponsors just about from the beginning and have uh you know stood behind us throughout the years when we needed them uh with the six different chapters we rely a lot on each chapter going out and finding their own local sponsors uh here in central pa uh shanks mayor outfitters blue mountain outfitters and uh five mountain outfitters have have all helped us throughout the years as far as prizes, discounts, uh, helping guys out when they're on the water, if they need a shuttles, that kind of stuff. And uh, that's a big help. Uh, My personal sponsor is my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Without her, I wouldn't be doing this. And, uh, you know, I I appreciate everything she's put up with over the years, all the time going and the time me sitting at the kitchen table at home four hours a night, trying to answer emails and questions and that kind of stuff. So she, she she's what keeps me going. That's right. That's All
3: right. We, we appreciate y'all. Thank y'all for being on. And we don't have any tournaments to talk about. Nobody, there wasn't any, no trails run this weekend. So not no, uh, not nothing to go over there. But uh, yeah, everybody, you know, stay safe. Be out there. Bring your splash bag and, and wear your PFDs. We'll see y'all again next week. All right. Good night, everybody. Thank everybody. you.
4: Thanks for tuning in this week, everybody. The Reel Down was brought to you by the Dugout Bait and Tackle in Marietta, Georgia. They have everything you need for your next fishing adventure from Rod's Reel, Line, and Tackle, all the way up to Hobie Fishing Kayaks. They carry all your favorite brands like G. Loomis, St. Croix, Shimano, and many, many more, as well as all of our best bait company. Give them a like and follow and head on over to the Dugout Bait and Tackle of the day, and be sure and tell them that Paddle and Fin sent you.
2: Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Fin. and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water shout out to Rocktown adventures located in northern illinois for all your kayaking camping and hiking needs shout out to jig masters jigs when in doubt get the jig out go to jigmasters.com